I do think that AI is going to become more integrated into all of this. Even now I see people who are like, I don't need to hire anyone to do that. I can just ask ChatGPT to build out like, you know, the next week of posts and captions, right? And ChatGPT probably could, but even going back to what you said about authenticity, like there's something different about seeing posts from a robot versus like an actual person. You build a story differently as a human than a robot. I think a lot about like even defamation and like personal rights issues that like AI can trigger because it happens like Google, their autocomplete search results will sometimes like autocomplete defamatory things. Like a big case in France was Rupert Murdoch sued Google because when you would type his name into a search bar, the biggest one was it would autocomplete Rupert Murdoch hates Jews. There's a lot of exciting potential in AI, but a lot of like weird things that can happen. And I think we're going to see those things play out in the next few months and years. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing and get real about women in business. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so grateful to have you here. We are just coming off of a very fun, very exciting, and I think pretty successful New York City meetup. We had it last week, and oh my God, you guys, like I am my own harshest critic by far, a thousand percent, but I felt really good about this event. So I know that I've like been teasing this event for weeks on this podcast and I'm sure you guys want an update to some extent. I'm going to probably create a longer episode sharing a little bit more about the behind the scenes of producing an event because I don't want to just share how it went. Like I want to share the the secret sauce and the highs and the lows and like just like the real talk of of event production to you guys because I feel like you can really benefit from that. So I'm going to save that for a later time, but yes, it was very exciting. I'm happy that it was as successful as it was. I want to give a huge shout out specifically to some of our sponsors because without them and the village of people who helped this event, it truly could not have been possible. So huge shout out to the folks at Primary, which is a beautiful venue that we've used multiple times now. They're a co-working space in the financial district. Highly recommend personally use them myself. Also want to give a huge shout out to a lot of our gift bag sponsors. Love a good gift bag. So uh, Bayer, Arctic Fox, Equilibria, Marshawn Eyewear, United Sodas, Cricket, and Lula Skincare. So giant thank you to all of you guys and all the people who helped, supported, attended, We are going to be sharing that panel discussion on this podcast in the next few weeks, but today you're actually in for a treat because we are going to be sharing the live podcast recording of our LA event that took place just a few weeks ago. 
So yes, I want you to attend the events live. You're not going to get the recording right after, but you will get a little preview of all of our events. The, the panel discussion in LA was fantastic. So you are going to hear from our panelists, Bianca Kerr from Tagger and Seema Taluk of Create LLC. It was a really cool discussion about the behind the scenes of influencer marketing. I wanted you to get like a peek behind the scenes of the data, behind the scenes of like contract review. And this is like the backbone, both of those things, especially combined are like the backbone of the industry. And I don't know, I love giving you guys a peek into what not enough people are talking about. Like it's not enough people are talking about the data. Not enough people are talking about like, you know, what SEMA is seeing day in and day out as she's negotiating agreements and how they're changing and evolving and what what you should be looking for and asking for. And then, of course, we infused a lot about just what it is to be a woman in the industry, general thoughts about the direction of influencer marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, it was a great conversation. I wish you guys were there in person. Maybe some of you guys were, but if you have not been to either the panel and event in LA that you're about to hear momentarily, if you weren't at the New York meetup, which we had last week, which was incredible as well, we have one more event left in 2023 in person, of course, I mean, and that is our Chicago meetup. Chicago, you guys show the fuck up. Like we had an event in 2018 and I will never forget it because you guys showed up in droves. The energy was palpable. It was really exciting. I'm hoping we can recreate that this time around. FCB Chicago, huge shout out. They're providing our sponsor that's providing the venue and it's going to be gorgeous. You're going to feel pampered. Trust me. So if you are close by or traveling through or need an excuse to head up to Chicago, the incredible city of Chicago during a beautiful time of year, September 14th is when we are hosting our final in-person event for 2023. Again, don't have FOMO. You probably have FOMO because just LA and New York are incredible. You can you can save that. You can definitely take advantage of the Chicago event. I encourage you guys to come. As a reminder, if you are a member of WIM, tickets are half off. They're $25, guys. That include dinner, a panel, networking activities, drinks, a gift bag. Like it all pays for itself in droves, I promise you. So I hope you guys are members. If you haven't, of course, just check out the membership because there's so much more that it includes. But if you're not a member, it's still only 50 bucks for your ticket. It will sell out. New York sold out. LA actually sold out as well. Just New York sold out faster than LA did. And I had a whole long wait list of people who were very sad that they couldn't make it. So get your tickets soon. Don't miss out. This is the last in-person event that we will be having this year. would love to meet you guys in person. I love meeting you guys in person. I cannot express that enough. What I will also say is today is the release of our newsletter. So we have a newsletter. It goes out once every month. And we're sharing pictures from the event. We always take like professional headshots. Uh, so you can like freshen up your LinkedIn. We're sharing those headshots. We're sharing castings. We're sharing all sorts of updates that we only do once a month. We like aggregate it into this one newsletter. 
I encourage you guys to sign up for that. If you're a member, you get it, of course. But if you're not and you just sort of want more whim in your inbox or you want to just explore more of what we have to offer, that newsletter is awesome. So you can sign up at our website. It's iamwim.com slash newsletter. Very easy. I-A-M-W-I-I-M.com slash newsletter. I'm excited for you to listen to this episode. So I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you guys listen and enjoy. And I will see you guys. Keep listening after this episode. I'm not even going to say I'm going to see you next week. Like keep listening after this episode. Catch up on some old ones because the last few weeks we've been putting so much effort into these episodes. And after this one, listen to the next one. So hopefully I'll see you in about 40 minutes after this one on the next episode. Thanks for listening as always, guys. And see you around when. introduce to our panelists. So first we have Seema, who is a media and IP lawyer, the founder of Create LLP. We also have Bianca. She is the head of global operations and CS at Tagger Media. And without further ado, let's kick things off. <laughs> so thank you guys. That was a mouthful, right? All right. So in true whim fashion, we're keeping it fun here. My first question, fuck, marry, kill, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. Hello. <laughs> right? Nice to meet you. I'm here. Hello. So this, this question makes me giggle, but Good, I fun. think immediately I would say, I'd say marry YouTube, just because like YouTube is like the try and true you know, like you know what you're getting with YouTube, you know when you post content where it's going, you know how many views you're getting, et cetera, et cetera. I want to marry that guy. Same. I actually um, TikTok and Instagram, that one's tough. Right. But I would say I would say <laughs> I would say fuck Instagram. Kill TikTok. Elaborate on that a little bit though. I want to know the kill part. So, I mean, I love TikTok and I probably use it more than any other social platform just for viewing and like spacing out. But you never know like where the algorithm's going with TikTok. And it's constantly changing and I, I don't actually love where it's gotten to. Like, I, I like the COVID version of TikTok where you're just getting like fun little dances and videos and like, you know, cute little tutorials. So I would kill TikTok, and it sounds like TikTok may die soon in the U.S. anyway. We're going to see. And I would fuck Instagram, because that's what Instagram's like, you know? Like, you... you like, Say more about that. <laughs> like, you, you... Something new every few moments, right? You don't know what you're getting. I love these um, euphemisms. It doesn't know what it wants to be necessarily. You have your reels, you have your posts, you have your stories, and it's trying to copy other people. So, yeah. This is the best answer. I, like, I would love to hear. Fuck, Mary kill, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. Well, I think Kara Swisher actually calls Evan Spiegel of Snapchat the like head pro chief product officer of Facebook, so that does make sense. <laughs> But I would, I would also marry YouTube, but probably because of all the DIY videos. We're renovating our house right now, and my husband, it's practically, I'm practically already married to YouTube, to be honest. I think kill Instagram, because then I'd 
be on my phone way less. And fuck TikTok because they have all the like good dance moves. Like they they, they got all the moves. They got all the moves. Best answers. I love it so much. Okay. So now that we got the fun part out of the way, and we're going to continue with it. So, you know, aside from your official bios, which, you know, we have on our website, and when you guys signed up, I'm sure you saw, tell us a little bit about you guys as, like, a young adult. Maybe, Seema, we can start with you. Like, tell us a little bit about yourself as a young adult, and then how that led you to working in influencer marketing and a career in on the legal side, specifically. Okay, so as, like, a super young adult, like, I went to high school when AIM was just proliferating. So we would all, you know, go to school, we'd come back home, immediately turn our, on our computers and sit on AIM. And I don't know what we were doing for, like, so many hours on AIM, but we were all just, like, chatting it up, right? My parents were like, what are you doing in there? I'm like, I'm chatting, guys. And what I thought was so interesting back then was, like I would go to school and I'd sit next to one guy in particular and he was fun and like we were friends, whatever, but we didn't talk much at school. But when we went back home, he was like the most boisterous, like energetic person I've ever met on AIM, like the funniest person ever. And I thought it was very interesting that there's like this dichotomy of a person who I know and I interact with on a daily basis. So that just like made me very curious about social media and online interactions generally. When I graduated law school, I worked down the street here in representing talent in online disputes, disparagements, and I've just been interested in like how the online world functions generally and like what it's doing to us as a society, and that's why I'm here. Amazing. I love your story. And what about you? What sort of like how was your upbringing a little bit and like how that led you specifically to working at like a great, you know, a great company like Tagger? I mean, I was a huge nerd. I was in choir and uh, yeah, still, still. <laughs> Mathapalooza, yeah, right? the musical, like. But it actually kind of makes sense because I worked in, you know, chatbots and data pipelines and like super, super deep technical SaaS background. And I was really looking for some levity in my life, but still bring that kind of right brain married with the left brain. So it does make sense. Big nerd who liked musical theater ends up working in influencer marketing with a data background. So it, it kind of tracks. Does. Oh my gosh, I love learning this about you. I feel like we're very similar. We're going to hang out after this. <laughs> the musical theater thing, that's awesome. That's awesome. And so I think that also one thing that's like really special about WIM is that, you know, it's women in influencer marketing. It's not people in influencer marketing. And it was like a very specific decision that we made back in 2017 when we launched this. So my next question for you ladies is like, how has being a woman specifically shaped your career? So I worked down the street at like a Century City office as a lawyer, which is very different than the influencer marketing world. I was surrounded by mostly men, like male lawyers, very aggressive, very like type A. And I always felt like I was trying to appeal to this mold of being a lawyer in Century City. Um, until I started working in influencer marketing and I I mean through your group especially I found so many wonderful women who are all like have this entrepreneurial mindset who are all just getting it and learning about this world as it's evolving 
So I wouldn't, I wouldn't have that if I were not a woman. So thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for being part of it. And what about you? Like, how has it affected your, your work? And like, how has it just like infected your experience? I, I was thinking about this, and I first thing that came to mind was that's like asking what does gravity feel like? Like, what how does being a woman affect your career or your life? I, I think of it almost less than what does it feel like to be a woman and instead of what does it feel like to be the only one? And I think women and people of color and queer people will understand the feeling of being the weight and the responsibility of being the only one. And I've had plenty of scenarios working in tech being the only one and you it shapes your voice, it shapes your contribution to a company pleasantly, but since working in influencer marketing, I'm almost never the only one, which is great because then I just get to be the best version that, that I'm bringing to the table rather than through this lens of, oh, I am the only woman on this exact team or I am the only person of color on this exact team. I'm the only one bringing that perspective. I don't have the weight of that, which is awesome. I think too that one thing that I've heard a lot of people say though, in terms of weight, is like the responsibility to sort of think about like the next generation of women in our industry. And like, if we could all do a little something to like, just make it a little easier for them, you know, and to amplify some other voices, you know, of other women and just like be as inclusive as possible. There's like, I don't know, there's an old fashioned stigma about women that like we can be catty and like we're certainly it's like the opposite of collaborative it's the opposite of like lifting each other up but i've personally witnessed the exact opposite of that but i do think that it takes like mindfulness like it takes intention to be able to do that so i love hearing about your individual experiences i want to talk a little bit more about you know we're going to get into influencer stuff but i i like to just learn a little bit more and get personal so you know i think it's incredible the career paths that you both have had different from each other but like really impressive equally so i'm curious like if you have any tips for the people who are watching who might be like i would love to have that role someday or i would love to like have my own company someday like how to successfully navigate your career path, which is a big question, but I'd love to hear from you. It's a huge question. I think it all just starts with your intention and being true to what you actually appreciate and like to do. Like I was working in a completely different space 10 years ago. I don't know if I would have thought that I would be working in influencer marketing at this point, but it all just sort of like evolved over time. So I think like the biggest thing is just to be true to what you what you like, what your interests actually are, and it'll take you to a space that makes sense. Maybe not immediately, maybe it might take a couple stepping stones to get there, but just stick with you with what you actually appreciate. Yeah. yeah. What about you? What do you think to successfully navigate a career? I think it's just all, all about saying yes. So when you're young and you're coming up and you're trying to figure out what it is you even like, you're just trying to say yes to everything. And then as you start to develop your career, I find it a lot harder to force myself to say yes, to get in my car in traffic and go to a networking event. Exactly, yeah, to, props to everyone here. To say yes to doing the things that came really naturally to me in my early 20s when I lived in Toronto and it, you know, it was a, didn't have to have a car and I could bike to the event. Like, 
saying yes to those experiences was so important to building my career. And saying yes now is making sure I don't get stuck. And I think it gets harder to say yes as you get comfortable. And as you're like, oh, I have a, I have a good job. I know people. I, I, I've got this. And that's a really quick way to just end up not continuing to grow. I appreciate the heck out of that because I will be super personal and share that like I have a fear of like almost like aging out of influencer marketing a little bit, right? Like you think about it, like especially when like TikTok came to be, you know, huge just a few years ago, like it's great that, you know, the 22 year old is now being looked at as like the most knowledgeable person in the room when it comes to TikTok or all the social platforms. But like as a 36 year old woman, I'm like a little fearful. I'm like, where does that leave me in a few years? But I appreciate the heck out of what you said because I feel like in my opinion, I don't really think it's an age thing. I think it's an openness thing. I think it's like the desire to continue to learn, the desire to check your ego at the door, right? Because you can so quickly be the more senior person in the room, but let your ego get in the way. But then like you, that's how you sort of like push yourself out almost of the conversations. I like to joke our, our CEO, he's a man, but we like him still. <laughs> we um, like him. <laughs> We like to joke that he's an old 20-something and I'm a, like a, a young 50-something and he's just got this light at heart, young at heart mentality about how he approaches the people in the room, he brings a levity to that and I don't think you could be CEO of an influencer marketing company and you know look like you work at JP Morgan. Totally. Yeah, so it's, it's something that I think about but I think those are really good tips on just like navigating your career broadly. I like that a lot. So Bianca, I'd love to ask you specifically, like, what do you think of the pressures around ROI in influencer marketing? We hear about this constantly that, you know, we're always trying to prove our worth as, you know, person who works at an agency, person who manages talent. Like, there's a lot of pressures to prove out that ROI. Are the pressures too high? Are they not high enough? Like, what are your two cents on ROI? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's still business, right? So it's there has to be a focus on ROI, but I think it's What's the context? Is it ROI after one post? Is it ROI after one week? Or is it an overarching strategy that you're making around investing in a space that is more challenging than programmatic? It's more challenging than search. And if you wanna be in that space, you have to actually decide to invest in it if you wanna see the ROI and it's there but that pressure is good for the space, I think. I think the pressure is important because it, it forces us to mature the space over time to get better about our data strategy, better about our insights. But we also have to add a layer of context. You're not going to be able to buy the exact amount of impressions <laughs> that you do with programmatic. And that's why it's different and that's okay. I think like an educational, like yeah. he, there's an educational component to your point. Like I feel especially, you know, as like from the brand's perspective, right? Like the person with the purse strings, like if it were my money too, I would want my dollar to be stretched as far as it can be. Like it's very natural, but I appreciate your perspective just saying like the context matters and we all want for that to happen. Like yeah. if we're all on the same team, like we can make that happen, but the strategy is important to consider the length of time. You know, there's so many variables and that's why like the experts in this room are so important because like all of that expertise really informs 
how do you measure, and effectively measure that ROI. And then Seema, I'd love to hear your perspective. So this was actually a conversation that happened like, I think it was on our podcast somewhat recently. I don't think the episode's aired yet, so keep an eye out. But we were basically talking about putting a performance clause into an agreement, like talking about ROI, parlaying from that, it's like, well, how do you sort of like guarantee ROI? Which you, well, I mean, I'm just letting my opinion show a little bit, but like, I don't think you can, but some people were suggesting to put a performance clause in the partnership agreement that basically requires the influencer to like meet some sort of performance metric in order to get paid. How do you feel about that? Have you seen that? And what are your what are your opinions on it? Yeah, I've seen it come up every now and then. And it almost feels like a commission structure than like a straight, you know, pay for services type situation. And I don't know if you remember, like years ago, you were paying influencers based on, you know, how popular they were, right? Like that's how you would actually, I mean, that's how they find influencers still to market their products. But when I am representing the talent or the influencer, I will take that metric standard and I'll try to break it into pieces if a brand won't budge. So I'll say, okay, like if the influencer gets between this many views or impressions, then this will be the price point. If it goes above that, then there will be a different price point. So trying to tear out the structure a bit if the brand pushes back and requires the performance metrics. But frankly, I don't, I don't think it's really fair to put performance metrics on influencers because the algorithm is always changing. We don't know what's going to happen from one day to the next. It's something that's completely out of our control. So I always try to push back as much as possible, but I think the tier structured makes sense if they won't allow you to get rid of it entirely. And I'm certainly like not gonna put you on the spot to like name names. I'm not gonna do that, I swear. But like, I'm curious, like the people that you've seen like include that in a clause, are these people who are like, A, spending a ton of money in the influencer space? Are they like working in influencer, with influencers like pretty regularly? Or are these people kind of new to the space? New to the space. Yeah. They don't really understand how it works. They're used to getting a certain product and a deliverable. But then it just takes, you know, the the explanation, which sometimes they're not willing to accept, because influencer marketing is becoming so it's it's like the way that everyone is marketing now and spending their money, but not everyone was doing this at, even as of like a year or two ago. It's supposed to be like a billion billion dollar industry by next year. Yeah, yeah, and so like in the you know mainstream nature of it. I found the same thing. I don't want to, I mean, maybe I'm probably leading your answer, but like, I'm glad to hear that that's like matched up, but I don't know. You probably maybe know where my position is. It's just like, and I'll explicitly say it, like, I just think I agree with you. I think it's hard to require certain things of a campaign and a partnership based on things that are just like way outside of the influencer's control. There's only so much they can control to say it more concisely but to play devil's advocate, which I enjoy doing, like I wonder what can be required. Like maybe it's not, you know, to withhold your, you know, your payment, but you know, a lot of people I've heard are leaning a little bit more into like the affiliate model lately where 
when you're working with influencers who've been doing it for a long time, they hear the word affiliate and they're like, no, I'm not working on an affiliate basis, strictly affiliate. But I've heard more and more people do sort of like a hybrid where there's like an upfront fee in combination with an affiliate payment. And like perhaps that's sort of like that gray area that could benefit both parties a little bit more. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I appreciate also like including in a contract, I think that's a really great idea about, you know, Maybe it's not so black and white. Maybe we build out like tiers mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm gonna forget the word, but basically like you, where you have to like opt in to, to like, what am I trying to say? Like basically to like, oh, you option. Like there's an option in the contract. I don't know if you guys are familiar. My background's in like commercial work with actors. So like we did that a lot back in the day, but basically like, you know, you build in an option where if such and such thing happens, then you get paid for it, or then you get paid a certain amount for it. But if it doesn't, it doesn't. And if it does, you sort of like have that built-in agreement already. So I don't know, just like thinking just more broadly about how we put together our contracts and what we're all so used to, I think could be really valuable. And it's different in the online space where you can see the impressions right away and the metrics right away. Whereas yeah. like, if you have talent or celebrity that's like trying to sell a car or is endorsing a deal for a car, in traditional media, there's no metrics that you're really finding. Like how many cars were sold because like, you know, Kobe Bryant was selling, was the name of the car, the face of the car, right? So it's, it's just such a different system now. It is, and I almost think that like because there are more metrics than there were traditionally, people are hanging their hat entirely on that. And I think that while there are more metrics that you can look at, and those are very valuable and very important, there is still, like both things are true. You can have that, but you also have so many things that are just outside of your control. And I just think that like all of that, it would, be smart, it would be wise to take that into consideration. I also think that it'll like improve your relationships, you know, with all the partners that you're working with. So I always love to give like props and give credit where, you know, credit is due. I want to explore like examples of either brands or creators that you guys have been impressed with lately. Like we're sometimes we're so insular. We only look at our work and our partnerships and the ones that we're privy to I would love for us to sort of learn from what other people are doing when they're killing it. So like, are there any either brands or creators that you've seen recently that you've been particularly impressed with? So this is, this is a little broad, but it's really topical right now for me being, us being in LA and it being Pride Month and the Dodgers host and a Pride night and they uninvited the Nuns of Perpetual Indulgence, a drag activist group, and they uninvited them and it was a huge faux pas. The LA Pride pulled out. They were like, we're not gonna be involved. This is a bad move. We're not gonna be involved in an LA Pride event. And we've seen brands make faux pas like this and we've seen them double down. And instead, the Dodgers turned around and they came to the table with LA Pride. They worked something out. And, and the event went off without a hitch. And they were able to really show how so many brands right now are afraid to make the wrong move, to get canceled, to get involved with the wrong creator. We've got clients who are looking for like sentiment analysis to see if, you know, as far back as 
two years did a creator ever indicate that they were leaning one way with another political party. Like that's how sensitive it's getting. And what I really liked that the Dodgers did is they showed they understood who their audience was, who their consumer was. They made a decision. They made the wrong decision, and then they, they said, we made a mistake, and that there's room for that. And I think that there's this myth that if you mess up, there's no way back, and so like don't make any controversial, anything that might be construed anyway. And instead, I really loved, especially during Pride Month with everything that happened with Bud Light, the Dodgers took a different path, and they saw success with it. They earned their audience back. The groups that boycotted the event attended the event, and it went out, again, in a really great way. So I was super happy about the way that turned out. That's a really, it's a great example, and I would definitely want to like look more into that to see like how they did that. Like, like are you privy to any of those details? I mean, I only know what the, the public and the news know, but the sisters for, of the nuns of perpetual, perpetual indulgence, or the sisters, they are a drag activist group that were actually, they were going to win an award for like the Community Hero Award. And they were uninvited because groups complained. And the Dodgers, because they wanted to avoid controversy, uninvited this amazing group. And again, I think it goes back to that openness, understanding who your consumer is and understanding what's going to resonate with them. I actually worked with Nike. They were a client of mine back in the day when they dropped the Colin Kaepernick ad and we had built their Facebook chatbot and wow, people will write some crazy shit to a chatbot. <laughs> and it was really interesting that Nike you know, everyone saw like Nike shoes being lit on fire and they were like, oh my God, this is a crazy like press nightmare for Nike. But Nike knew their consumer and they knew that the people who were lighting those shoes on fire had bought their first pair of Nike shoes so they could light it on fire. So they knew that their consumer was happy with the choice and that they had made the right move and they stood by that decision. And I, I think brands have to think who's my consumer and authentically speak to them. And when they're being inauthentic, Gen Z will call them out so quick and so much quicker even than, you know, millennial consumers. So I think they, you just, I am so conscious of brands who are being authentic and, and choosing to make the right moves. I think they're going to win in the end. No, I appreciate that. What about you, Seema? Like, who have you seen? I know, right? Who have you seen? Who've done, who's done well on the brand side, the creator side, like anyone we should know? On the brand side, I really like what Aerie is doing. Aerie's American Eagle's like sister brand. And I love that they've just been so inclusive with different body types, different gender affiliations, different people of color. It's, it's been wonderful. And they even had like, I just, I saw a post where there was a woman who just had an osteotomy. So that's like where part of her stomach is removed and she had like a bag that was attached to her stomach and you see that woman as you know the face of this Instagram post and I thought that was so wonderful that we don't often think to see those types of people in ads and campaigns but that's what we all look like like we're not all these models who are often on various posts and promoting campaigns so I really like what they've done I think Fenty's done a really good job with that as well and Good American, they're all fabulous. 
I think what I'm hearing consistently is like, I guess, A, knowing your audience, right? The reality is like, it's impossible, you all are in business, it's impossible to please everybody, like whether it's your personal life, your professional life, like it's just impossible. And I guess like the reality is, is like when something like in the, you know, scenario that you shared with the Dodgers, like, you know, you're gonna piss someone off <laughs> at some point, but so long as you know who, I hate to say, I mean, there's probably a better way of saying this, but without, you know, with lack of a better phrase, like who you're, you know, best customers are, you kind of like, that's the choice, right? To like cater to them. And, you know, I'm sure that some people, there are definitely some people who look at those areas and the good American ads and they're like, I don't want to see that. And it's like, that's okay. So long as you're not my target customer, my ideal customer and my loyal customer, right? I think that's really smart about like our interesting comments about like, you know, if things went awry with Nike, like have, how many Nikes had they purchased, you know, historically speaking. And it's a scary world that we live in that people legit get canceled all the time. I think that it's something with like a whole conversation about it. And I think it's really worth the focus being what you described, which is just like knowing who your audience is at the very least to be able to cater to, to them as much as possible, prioritize them. How has the industry changed in recent months? Like, what have you guys observed in your respective worlds, you know? What would you say? Uh, I, I don't know about like the, like the legal world necessarily, but I think people are being just more genuine and you know, less filter centric. I don't know if anyone has been following the news in France. They just instilled a new law that requires influencers to you know, use a hashtag or state when they've altered their face or used a filter. So, ooh, Marilyn Monroe moment over here. So similar to like the like sponsored ad post that we would that we have to include, they're doing like a, a filtered one, which I think is great, and I think it's I think it's wonderful, and I think that America might follow suit at some point. I know there's a lot of controversy about it. Like, do you want influencers to have to state that they've filtered their beautiful images? But I think I think that's like a trend that I've just been seeing with my clients. They they don't want to filter as much and. They, they want to get away from like fillers and Botox, which has a place, and I think those things are wonderful too, but I think we're seeing a shift in just aesthetics. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Like, you could say, well, you could do it, you just have to disclose it, but like, right. who wants to disclose that? <laughs> so I guess like, it's probably deterring some people from doing it in the first place. That's really interesting. What about you? What have you, like, trends that you've seen lately, in the, in the past few months even? I really see, and I, I think maybe maybe a wider window of time, even than uh, the last few months, but we're really seeing a lot of our, our customers, of course, they're going to work with the big macro influencers. It's going to happen. There's going to be a big tent pull events, but I had a, a great conversation with one of our big enterprise customers, and he just said, Gone are the days of us spending 20 grand for a photo of a girl in a bikini with headphones on. Like, that's just not how we're going to sell headphones. It's just, that's the past. We're interested in investing in mid, you know, nano creators even who are up and coming indie artists who are making space on TikTok. And if they blow up, then we do really, then we've benefited from that. And, you know, going back, I think, to that conversation around setting 
expectations for performance, that also changes the conversation for comp because now no longer is it, hey, I've got one post and that's my only time where it's do or die and I gotta hit these metrics. It's, oh no, I'm working with this brand for a year and we're gonna come up with an entire content strategy. You know, I'm coordinating the launch of my new single. I'm now gonna be thinking about when I go on tour, what's the, you know, what are the brands that I'm going to be carrying with me? And again, it goes back to that overarching strategy. How are you investing in this space? How are you choosing to invest? And where are you putting your dollars? Are you just gonna put it towards a girl in a bikini? Right, totally. I'm like, that's okay. Some people that's might do too, that. That's fine too, especially if you sell bikinis. But <laughs> <laughs> They get a free pass. That's all really, really awesome. Seema, the next question is for you. What do you wish more people knew from your perspective of working on agreements day in and day out? Oh my gosh, so many things. But I think people are so afraid to negotiate contracts in this space and i know things move very quickly you're like we need to get this deal done we need to like the post has to go live in 24 hours whatever but i think it's so important to push back and like redline the contract ask for the terms that you actually want to see in the contract or you know do your wish and see what you actually get from that so aim for the stars the worst someone is going to say is no but I see a lot of fear in that and the fear of like redlining a contract, which I, which I think is misplaced. And I think we need to advocate for ourselves and for our clients and we shouldn't be afraid. And if the person on the other side is aggressive, like that's okay, they're dealing with something else, right? But there's, there's no need for aggression in this space at all. So just don't be afraid to take that contract and do what you want with it. All right, so I have to tell you guys a little bit about a company that I absolutely love. It's called Oversubscribe. Their co-founder, Peter, was actually recently on this podcast, so go check out that episode from June 20th. But basically, Oversubscribe is a place where fans can fund their favorite creators and earn back on that investment. So if you're a creator or their management, you should totally check them out. The million dollar question these days is always around growth, how to grow, how to scale. And if you're a creator who wants to expand your business, but you simply don't have the capital to do it, let your fans fund it, the people who are already invested in you. Once the creator successfully grows their business from this investment and earns more based on that funding, the investor, the fans, earn from it too. There are lots of fans out there who would love to invest in their favorite creators, but they simply didn't know that they could. So subscribers now have a real stake in the success in a creator's business, thanks to oversubscribe. They can help them grow financially, which will then in turn make the content better, the quality of the content better, which will accelerate your growth as a creator just because you got some funding from the people who have already supported you for years. I think it's a really innovative idea. I love it. I want you guys to check out oversubscribe.co and just mention when. That's oversubscribe.co and tell them Jesse from Wynn sent you. Hey, you. 
Thanks for listening to this episode. This show is sponsored by Women in Influencer Marketing, the best online community for the creator economy. You'll meet fellow influencer marketers, brands, and talent managers to talk shop, get hired, and even find a mentor. When you join, don't forget to check out all of our incredible resources. We also have dozens of masterclasses from the top voices at TikTok, YouTube, award-winning agencies, and women who are paving the way for us all. If you want a chance to network with a who's who in influencer marketing, just check out what it takes to join the membership collective. Visit IamWim.com slash join today. That's I-A-M-W-I-I-M.com slash join, and I'll see you around the community. And I'll even like add on to that too. I feel like don't be afraid to counter an offer, right? So, because there's so many things that are up for negotiation. It's like the clauses of a contract and of course the rate as well. And I think that especially when people like they come to the table and they get an offer that maybe surpassed what they even thought was possible, even then you counter because it's, it's, it's commonplace. You know, and sure, you might get someone who you'll redline the agreement and they'll come back at you being pretty aggressive or whatever it is. I think that's not the norm. Like, I think that's the minority. What do you feel? I think the people who are aggressive don't actually know what they're talking about. Because, like, I will call out someone on their aggression and I'll ask them, like, why does this indemnity provision need to, like, why can't it be mutual? And they have no fucking clue what an indemnity provision even means. So you just need to, like, you just need to call them out. And I totally agree. Even, like, countering an offer that seems okay from the outset is so important because you're just going to get more, right? Or potentially get more. Potentially, and like all they could say is no, but like I think that it's important, like sort of why I wanted to hear you, I wanted to have you guys hear it from SEMA, who's working on contracts day in and day out. Like that perspective is so important. And like just knowing like it's normal to redline agreements, it's normal to counter on things, it's normal to ask for mutual indemnification, it's just mutual. And I've had the same experience where like when people push back if you politely you know just like ask like but why you know sometimes the people who are the most aggressive don't know why and then you get to the core of what's actually happening so my next question is uh, for Bianca what do you wish more people knew from your perspective of seeing so much data day in and day out through Tagger? Like, share a little bit from, from your perspective. So much data. So, <laughs> I think it's that, you know, trying to understand what, what do you want to do with the data? What are you trying to get? Like, what's the goal? What's the KPI? What are you focused on? Are you top of funnel? Are you the bottom of the funnel? It really have a, an idea and there are people who are there to guide you through that. I think what's really challenging is is a is someone who's new to the space doesn't really know what their goals should be and so just wants to see everything. But everything is way more confusing than if you have a perspective on what you're trying to approach. I think the other important thing is is understanding what we can't capture and understanding that we're not programmatic again, we're not 
search, and so we're not gonna, it's not gonna be apples to apples. You're going to have to make some comparisons and also really contextualize the data. We, we work with a really fantastic alcohol brand, has a lot of big different brands under them. They're a super old traditional company, but their marketing team is super new, particularly the influencer team. They've only been around for a couple years. And they are consistently having challenges internally when dealing with their analytics team, because their analytics team is presenting the data as if it's apples to apples compared to all their other marketing initiatives. And they're always losing out. And they're like, we have incredible campaigns. We're crushing it. And yet, for some reason, the, co the way we are contextualized internally. So we've been working with them quite closely to almost arm them, not even externally, but arm them within their own large, more traditional organization with the right tools and the right data to actually present what their findings are so they, they can continue to get more budget and get more funding and, and see success. Yeah, isn't it wild how even within the same organization, you know, you have different departments and the larger organizations that have been around for decades, like they want to do influencer, they want to, you know, follow where the money is, but they don't understand it. And, you know, it's, it's helpful to have the words to be able to, you know, to explain what it is that you need, like what's, what you're presenting and, and how it could be presented even in the first place. So we're gonna have Q&A in just a couple minutes. So if you guys have any questions, keep them in, their, in your heads. But my one of my last questions is, what should more influencer marketers do to improve our industry? Who wants to take that question? So uh, I'm gonna actually kind of repeat myself a little bit because I think it's a good enough point that it's values repeating. And it's the authenticity thing, and I know that we like there's a, at least 15 million blogs talking about authenticity, and you've read it on LinkedIn and to all the places. But it's like they, it's like a lot of people read it and then they they don't process it. Like <laughs> it doesn't actually come through. And I, I think when we think about you know heritage calendar events, be it Juneteenth be it Pride Month, be it Women's International Day, like whatever it might be, there's this fear of missing out on an opportunity to post an MLK quote when you have no black people on your exec. Like, there's this fear of missing out of, post, of welcoming and thanking all the women that work at your company, but you have no women on your board when you don't give maternity leave. So, it's so important to improve the space, to be authentic, and you can post a bunch of search ads and you're not gonna get called out for it, but if you are working with doing an influencer marketing campaign that is so front and center and you are not authentic, it's gonna become so obvious so quickly. So I think leaning into that and knowing where your opportunities are, who's your audience, who's your consumer, what's important to them, what are your company values? And if you look around and you say, oh, I really wish I could participate in celebrating Juneteenth, but my company doesn't actually represent that event in a really authentic way. I think it's important to look internally and ask why. Why isn't it not being represented in that way? And then do the work and talk about it from that perspective. There's an opportunity still, but 
an MLK quote is not going to cut it. <laughs> I hear you on that. What about you, Seema? What do you think? I would go back to something you said earlier, which is banding together and working together. Like, like all of the women and people sitting here, because it's not just women I see, everyone sitting here is just like a wealth of knowledge in their own way. And I think like what we can all do is support each other as women and as a community. When you have a question, like literally the Facebook group has an answer, has more than one answer. I see questions there and even like as a lawyer and I, I've done this for so long, like I'm learning new things on that group all the time, just about recent trends, issues that people are facing. Like, you know, what do you do when a client doesn't pay you? Right? Like, what are the different ways to approach it other than receiving or writing a legal demand letter from a lawyer, right? There's, there's just so many different ways to navigate these issues, and there's so many things that come up. So I would suggest just we all, like, lean into all of our knowledge base. I mean, and it's like such an opportunity with like an event like this or, you know, to just like share your experiences. Like, don't squirrel them away. Like, and don't, you know, because we can learn from each other and like, putting that out there in the universe and like sharing with other people like they're just going to feel comfortable now to open up and share with you so it's like a win-win my last question before we turn to Q&A any predictions for the rest of this year in in terms of like how influencer marketing is going to evolve I mean I think it's I don't think it's going anywhere anytime fast like it's just going to keep expanding but I do think that AI is going to become more integrated into all of this. Even now I see people who are like, I don't need to hire anyone to do that. I can just ask ChatGPT to build out like, you know, the next week of posts and captions, right? And ChatGPT probably could and AI probably could, but even going back to what you said about authenticity, like there's something different about seeing posts from a robot versus like an actual person. And you build, you know, you build a story differently as a human than a robot. But AI sort of freaks me out a bit. I think a lot about like even defamation and like personal rights issues that like AI can trigger because it happens. Like Google, like their autocomplete search results will sometimes like autocomplete defamatory things. Like, <laughs> like a big case in France was. Rupert Murdoch sued Google in France because when you would type his name into a search bar, it would, oh my gosh, I mean, the biggest one was it would, it would autocomplete Rupert Murdoch hates Jews. And that's really bad. And that's like AI or like, you know, that's autocomplete and that's just like a robot that's scrolling the internet or like, you know, an individual who's a doctor who was, you know, his name would autocomplete that he was a rapist because there was a newspaper article where his name showed up and there was like a picture of a rapist next to his newspaper article. So I think that there's like a lot of weird, there's a lot of exciting potential in AI, but a lot of like weird things that can happen. And I think we're going to see those things play out in the next few months and years, which is fun, but scares me. <laughs> Miyako, what do you think? What do you predict? I predict consolidation. So Twitter is charging for their API. Reddit is charging for their API. There is, uh, especially in my space, specifically influencer marketing platforms, there's a lot of us. There's maybe five of us that are worth buying. <laughs> but there's a lot. And there's a lot of like little ones who came up over the last couple of years. But money is expensive now. 
and so is the Twitter API, and so is the Reddit API, and I think we're gonna see a lot of them get gobbled up. I think we're gonna see a lot of them go out of business, and then I think we're also gonna see Meta and TikTok double down on certain relationships with the handful of five, give or take, and that's where you're gonna end up getting those deeper insights and extra layers of data and that's just going to make it tougher and tougher for those little guys. So I, it, it, it always ends in consolidation. Sure, I see that. Do we have any questions? We're gonna to turn to Q&A. Anyone have any questions for either Bianca or for Seema? Not everybody all at once. <laughs> yes, yes. So I'll repeat the question for everyone over here who might not hear. Basically, we're talking about a virality clause and Seema's thoughts on, the, on, the, on that. I haven't seen a virality clause, but that's really interesting. I think if you are representing the influencer and you mention that, you're opening up the door to like the opposite of the virality clause. <laughs> How have you seen it in your contracts? Like, is it... I mean, I like it. I think if you took a hybrid approach, like what Jesse mentioned earlier, where you have like that fee regardless, and then metrics tiered out. So like if you go viral, you get X amount. And if you hit like a smaller number, you, you know, but there shouldn't be like, there should, it shouldn't be punitive where if you don't hit a metric, you automatically don't get paid. Like that's not fair. But I, I mean, I like the thought though. Yeah, I would present the tiers though to the other side first. That's really interesting. Yeah, great question, really great question. Anyone else have uh, any questions for our panelists? That's okay, yeah, go for it. So I'll repeat the question. <laughs> um, so the question. I fucked this up. <laughs> I'm out of a job. No pressure. The question basically is, why is Tagger awesome? I'll sum it up in that way. <laughs> so, if you've used influencer marketing platforms, which it sounds like you have, all, all, there's there's a lot of overlap. 
up, right? There's things that everybody kind of does a little bit the same and a little bit different. There's discovery, there's a camp, hopefully there's some kind of campaign mechanism, there's like some kind of report builder. We have all that. We built that like four or five years ago. That's old news. For us, the thing that we see as being our key differentiator that's our flagship product is what we refer to as creator listening, creator intelligence engine. And it's this idea that, you know, a lot of brands and agencies, they're familiar with social listening, you'll purchase a product like that, but brands are really interested in who's saying something that's having an impact. How can I map that data across multiple platforms, understand how I can actually inform my strategy before I'm even you know, planning things out, before I've even decided who I should be working with, and, and really finding discovery in a different way. So we have a particular product. It's our flagship product. It's called Signals. It, it's the one thing I would say that we would put up against any platform out there. Now, I think it goes back to some of the questions around data, right? There's a lot of data and there's a ton of impact that can be had. But what I would say is customers who are coming to the table not even, you know, have never used influencer marketing before are unfamiliar with the space and are looking to be convinced of the value of influencer marketing are going to struggle with a product like that. If you're a customer who's coming to the space and knows, oh, influencer marketing is a place I want to invest, but I want to make smart decisions about where I'm putting my money. I don't want to just go, okay, I'm looking for a bunch of women who are, you know, 25 to 45 who live in this area, and I'm going to work with them because they have over a 2% engagement rate. That's who I'm working with. I'm going to hire a bunch of them because they fit my price point. That's the old way. Now it's... What was their content over this window of time that we're looking at? Were they actually driving particular hashtags that align with our the values of our company? Was there some sort of sentiment during that window of time that we were able to glean by looking at the content they were creating? So it's not just that post-level data. It's not just like profile-level data. It's the post-level of what's being driven behind it. I really hope I got that right. It's being recorded, and I'm pretty sure my founder can look it up at some point. I will also say that one thing that I appreciate about Tagger personally as someone who's used like a lot of platforms myself is I feel like they understand Influencer. And I know that that sounds like you would think that's a given, but some of you probably have used other tools and like, they're like, this doesn't do what, like there's this very important thing that I do every day and like you guys don't have that ability to help me do that. Like, and I have not experienced that with Tagger. Like it feels like you guys don't just approach it from like just the data. Like there are people who are working in Influencer who must have informed the product because I feel like the tools that are offered like just help on a day to day. So that's just my personal two cents. We have a really great customer visionary board who we actually just met with last week and it's not just like a vanity board where it's like hey you get a board seat you get a board seat like you want I want to retain you it's like we meet with them we do breakout sessions we talk to their users we try and understand what's actually driving insights you brought up AI we're very focused on how AI can inform our platform but we talk to our customers 
What are you using for to improve AI in your workflow? How are you incorporating it in some way? We want to understand that. So I, I think having your product, you know, innovate beyond the scope of what your customers can imagine is first and foremost important. But listening to what their day-to-day -day struggles and challenges are, I I pray for the day where I can figure out opting in creators to make it easier. So stay tuned on that but it's so important for us to be listening to what they have to say yeah i just appreciate that i just feel like like the whole reason you purchase a, and you spend money to have a tool like that is to like make your day-to-day -day easier and i've personally found that like they actually do that and some of them do not but i'll leave it at that but we have time for one other question if we have yes It's a really, really good question, and this has come up because I also represent like a Disney star who's also an influencer. So I'll briefly just share, I guess, a question. Oh, sorry, yes. You know, you're good, you're good. The briefly, the question is just about SAG-AFTRA and you know it becoming a little bit more commonplace to see their involvement, and just wondering like how if SEMA has seen that and how that interacts with the work that we're maybe more familiar with on the influencer side and brand side. Is anyone from SAG here? <laughs> So I really think like SAG has multiple realms. So they have like a commercial contract, they have a film contract, TV contract. They also have a new media contract, which is where I feel influencer marketing and like, you know, social media falls into. But the actors need to actually be signed with SAG for each different like department. So if you have, you know, a Disney star who's signed with SAG on the, on the TV side, they should also be signed with SAG on the new media side for SAG to have any, like, say on the new media deals. That's, sorry. So I can share briefly too, my whole background is in commercials. So we like, and pretty, pretty much only do like exclusively did the agency that I worked at was very old school. So they like held on for as long as they could to like only work on SAG projects. Basically you do get, I think it's three opportunities until you're what's referred to as a must join. So I'm sure there have to be people in the audience being in LA that like are familiar with SAG, but basically you don't have to technically join the union and pay those membership dues, which are a few thousand dollars a year. You do get health insurance, you do get things in exchange for that. And then you get access to SAG minimum rates for different projects. But basically I think maybe if what you're asking is like but if you're an influencer you're not trying to be an actor so you're not trying to be up for those you know roles in a movie where that's like important to you so I guess one thing to just note is that 
if it's the first time that you're working on a campaign where SAG-AFTRA is a union, in case anyone's unfamiliar, that they have jurisdiction over it, you don't have to join the union from the first time you participate in a SAG partnership or SAG, like on a SAG contract, a SAG agreement. You, I think it's three projects until you're what's referred to as a must join. Did that answer your question though? Got it. Got it. Okay, to that point, there is, I'm not going to remember the name of it, but I will look it up after we finish this panel. There is a status that you can mark yourself within the union, we're getting really technical here, that basically allows you to be able to do non-union work. There is a status, maybe someone in the audience knows what that is, but what is it? FICOR, thank you. You can become what's referred to as FICOR, and then it opens you up to be able to do non-union work, which is most of the influencer partnerships, and union work. There are definitely repercussions to that as well, and like there's like a status thing about it as well. That's very much a thing. The long and short of it is, I'm also happy to chat with you like individually as well, you know, because I nerd out and I actually know this stuff, but Basically, it's tricky to navigate. I think the main thing is finding some projects and that are more considered brand deals that just don't, aren't under SAG jurisdiction and like focusing on those partnerships. And there are plenty of them. And we've had, we've hosted masterclasses actually. If you're a member, you can look in our masterclass library. We have two, which we invited SAG-AFTRA to come and speak with WIM. So not from me, knowing a little bit from them being experts. So you can watch the whole masterclass and learn a lot more than we're gonna get into today. But what I can share is that the majority of influencer work is not under SAG, and so you, they should be able to find a good amount of partnerships that just aren't under that jurisdiction. Does that make sense? Okay, and we can chat after too. <laughs> I'm happy to. All right, we are going to be moving into the rest of the event now. So first and foremost, please thank our panelists. They are fantastic. I learned a lot. Yeah, thank you so much. So I encourage you guys to take photos of the event and post on social. We're at I am Wim on pretty much everywhere. However, there is a photo booth at the end that's so fun, 360 photo booth. Take advantage, especially before it gets too dark. We have a headshot photo booth that's gonna be opening in just a few minutes right around this corner here where you can like get a refreshed LinkedIn photo or whatever you want to use it as. They're going to be beautiful. And we have dinner here and we have drinks in the back. And don't forget to enter the raffle with that QR code that is over in the front. We're going to be announcing that around 8.30, 8.45. And the last thing is, is we have gift bags. They are going to be asking you if you are a member of WIM, don't lie because if you are a member of when we are giving you a little something extra i made enough for the members <laughs> but i am trusting you guys to be honest because they're not going to like check another list to vouch like for it so if you are a member of whim we're giving you a little extra something please be honest <laughs> thank you guys so much for coming and enjoy the rest of the event guys
If you enjoyed this episode, we gotta have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. Leave us a review, a rating, but the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.